This is the Discuss Metal Podcast with Vito Marchese of November's Doom. Hosted by Dan Terry. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Discuss Metal Podcast. With me tonight is Vito Marchese of November's Doom. What's going on, man? What's up, dude? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, anytime. I, I was watching you on Twitch the other night, or not at night, but it was actually, it was right after I got off from work, and it was one of those weird days where my mom, my mom, my wife was not home, <laughs> mom of my children, uh, <laughs> was not home. Her and the kids were all like out playing in the park because it's been like really nice lately, and uh, they weren't home for like an hour or something, and I'm looking down, I'll see like a case of beer sitting there that I hadn't touched in like two weeks, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to see what's going on on the internet. And then I, I saw your videos. I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. And he's he's on Twitch live playing November's Doom songs. Um, and uh, it's fun times. man. Yeah, it's super cool. I was I was like really, really into that. And it sounded really good, too. Like you could hear everything really clearly. And I know how much of a struggle that can be sometimes to mix your levels uh, in OBS and stuff and get it to sound just like just right. Yeah, I did like a few test recordings before I even did my first stream to see like all right, is the guitar loud enough? Can you hear that and the track at the same time? Is like my mic work and stuff? So a lot of trial and error, but I think I got there at the end. So I have to give you mad props, though. You will actually respond to people's comments while you are playing the song. Uh, which it's difficult for me to do that, but yeah, I try to do it as much as I can. <laughs> I don't think that that's the, I don't think anybody even expects that because like I was, I remember sitting there and I typed all like, hey, what's up, dude? You know, into the chat. And you like were like, oh, hey, Dan, how's it going? And I was like, holy shit. I thought he'd at least finish first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. So, um, yeah, I wanted to bring you on tonight to talk about a lot of different things. Um, but I, I, I do like for these to be somewhat autobiographical. So I'm not going to ask you on what day you were born, um, you know, what city, what the weather was like, you know, um, what your parents had for dinner the night before, you know, like that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, me being a huge music nerd and being a huge fan of your band, I um, the, the question I ask everybody is just kind of our icebreaker is what got you into music as a fan before a musician or was it kind of at the same time? No, I was definitely a fan of music before I wanted to become a musician. So for me, it started with... Well, there's a lot of th- different things. I mean, Rush, the band Rush got me into like rock music. But I mean, there was a time when I was young when I was into like hip hop and stuff. Like I like Vanilla Ice for a certain period of time in the early 90s. Because you got to remember, I'm only like 38. So when that came out, I was like eight or nine or whatever that was. But it gradually grew into, you know, Rush started my my love for rock music. And then I discovered Metallica. And as soon as I heard the Black Album, I was like, okay, this is what I, like, I want to do. I want to play guitar and I want to be in a band. And that's kind of what I did. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's that that's that's one of those biggest decisions that I think a lot of people, um, especially for me, it I, I got so into music for su- for such a long time, but always had kind of this this feeling like, oh, I guess I'm just not, I'm never going to be able to play on that level, you know. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of like don't even don't even try. Um, so it's one of those things that once, when, once you've become a musician to the point where you've actually put out a record or in your case, several records, uh, you know, 
what what was it like i guess early on kind of kind of playing out like did you immediately try starting bands or trying to join bands or for me it was always just i wanted to play songs like the metallica i had to learn every metallica riff from the black album and all the other riffs and then slowly evolved into heavier bands i was really into like alternative music in the mid 90s so basically just tried to find as much guitar taps i could find on like ultimateguitar.com and just learn everything I possibly could that I wanted to play. I never really took it seriously where I was like, I like I wanted to be in a band, but I never thought like, oh, I can actually like record my original music and like make something out of it. That didn't happen until probably like my late teens, like 18, 19, I started taking guitar a little bit more seriously. And then um, Paul found me and asked me to audition for the band November's Doom, which I was a fan of at the time. Yeah. And that really kickstarted everything I've been through and gone through up to this point in like my music career so so you were a fan of november's doom what are um you know we we the first band we talked about was rush uh what like how, how do you go from rush to um something heavy like like this kind of like death metal influenced you know uh sort of uh i always like say like melancholic uh sort of music you know um you know how do, how do you go from something like rush to something like catatonia or something like uh november's doom you know it's funny because I actually didn't know who Catatonia was until after I joined Doom. And those guys like introduced me to that. Actually, I didn't really listen to any Doom metal stuff. Like I knew who my who I knew who My Dying Bride was before I joined Doom, but that was like the most Doom stuff I was into. Like I was into bands like Tool and Seven Dust and a lot of alternative bands. And then gradually I got into heavier music. Like one of the first extreme metal bands I was into was Cradle of Filth. Oh yeah. You know, so yeah, I was super into them back in the, you know, mid late nineties and stuff. And then it just kind of gradually evolved. Um, and then I found November Zoom and they kind of introduced me to other styles of music. And that kind of, I think, explored my palette and then kind of helped me focus my writing skills more towards the Doom style that we do now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, that's, that's, it's always a cool journey because uh, I kind of, I kind of went through something similar when I, growing up, and I had kind of a little bit of a different uh, upbringing as far as like my parents were like very conservatively religious. So, like, a lot of the music that I cut my teeth on was like Christian music because, like, if they found anything else, you're in trouble, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, making that journey to where it's like you start off listening to like, I don't know, like Striper or something like that. And then all of a sudden you're yeah. listening to stuff with just like, Deicide, deicide, yeah, <laughs> growling vocals. Well, and it's funny because, like, with Christian music, we we ha- we all had our own versions of those bands, right? Like, you had you had Mortification if you like Cannibal Corpse. And I, was, had, I was just going to say Mortification. Like, yeah. I discovered then I was like, wait a minute, a death metal band that sings about Christianity? Like, that's so odd. <laughs> it was odd. I think some of those bands too. Like, you you have a theme and you run with it. I think it really works yeah, yeah. for some of them. Uh, I think the ones that are like doing it like a church service. That's you know. Nobody yeah. shows nobody shows up at a rock show for that, you know. Right. <laughs> but uh <laughs> uh but yeah, like making that making that kind of journey from, you know, okay, I like this because it rocks hard and then you reach a certain point where you're like, let's go a little bit further. <laughs> you know, let's see let let's see how far down the rabbit hole goes. And um I think that's the most unique thing about about this type of music for for me is just that once you reach a point of extremity, you know, like you mentioned deicide you know, like, I don't know if you can relate to this either, but like, if you listen to like November's doom, it's not deicide. You're not out there trying to make the most brutal music, you know, to ever exist on earth. Um, I think there's an element to that, but, um, you, you reach kind of a point where there's, you want to add a little bit more refinement and for back lack of a better term, maybe be a little bit more musical. 
Yeah, I mean, not to harp on DSI because I think they have some great stuff. But oh, yeah, fantastic. it's it's a little bit little bit one notey sometimes, I guess. You know, I don't know if you're going to see them do some kind of clean acoustic ballad on one of their albums. You know, yeah, you might get a creepy well, intro even, every even now heard, again. Yeah, yeah, but that, that's probably about it, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, you better believe it. Uh, so you joined November's Doom. Let's see, that was early two thousand, really early two thousand, maybe even uh, what was it like ninety nine, two thousand, sometime around there. No, so I actually joined in uh, 2002 is when I first met those guys. Really? Yeah, like oh, November wow. 2002 was my audition, and I showed up like an hour and a half late because... <laughs> I guess he doesn't care. They, <laughs> I, thought I, was, I thought I was done for. I showed up. It was, it was like a blizzard, of course, and like I, I'm, from, well, I'm, I'm from the suburbs of Chicago, and I never go into the city. So when they, they told me where to go, I didn't know where to go, so I'm driving around, and I didn't know where to go. So I was just driving and it took me an hour and a half to find this place. Walked in there in a blizzard. Paul's is standing outside with Larry in his shorts. I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. And I was like, guys, I'm so sorry. I literally thought they were just going to tell me to just go away because I blew the interview. But no, they brought me upstairs. We jammed. And then the rest is history, man. That's awesome. <laughs> so I, I guess it goes without saying you were super nervous. But well, like, what, what, what was that audition like for you as far as like you're in? You're in a room with a band that you know already. Like you don't know the guys personally, but you you know them. You know their music. You've you've studied up obviously to, to do the audition as well. Um, what is, what is that like? Like, did, did they give you any signs of like yay or nay? Like while yeah, you so were was, playing? Yeah, for sure. Larry, Larry did for sure. So at that time, I was only twenty years old. So imagine you know you're twenty years old. You've never played in like a real band before, and you just have an audition for a real band that's signed and has albums and stuff. And you show up with your fucking shitty guitar with, without even a real amp. Like I had a little like floor DOD effects processor thing. Right. <laughs> which I don't even know why I showed up with that. It was so embarrassing, but I plugged into that and I just started noodling around warming up. And then Larry was like, yeah, you know, I'll show you the song. And then I think I had to prepare a song or learn some riffs. So I kind of played through the riffs and Larry was like, oh, wow, you actually kind of got most of that down. That's pretty impressive. I, I like that because I guess a couple other guys were struggling with the riffs or whatever, but I got a couple riffs enough to get me a second interview um, or a second audition, which went well. And then here I am, you know, that's awesome. And you guys rode off happily ever after into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so that would. So, OK, so was this. um this was this was pre uh, to welcome the fade then. No, so or this it was, was a little right, bit after. Yeah, so I think welcome the fade came out like a few months before that, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, and that was it was weird because I I got that album and I was in love with it, and then Paul had contacted me about auditioning, and I was like, whoa, like wait a minute, what? Like <laughs> I was just listening to these guys, and now I have to go audition. Like it was really surreal, man. Like it was really odd. That's why I believe that like simulation theory does exist it's not a theory that we just live in a computer simulation because a lot of the stuff that happens i don't even think is like reality <laughs> right it's like so far out there like how can this possibly be happening right now right but anyway yeah so yeah they had just come out uh the guitar player had quit or left and then they just need a replacement and then i showed up and luckily for me i i, I got it you know yeah no that's awesome uh so that would that would put your uh debut i guess that would have been pale haunt then would have been uh would have been your first uh so with with that with that record, like you're you're coming in new, was this something that like they you were immediately collaborative with? I know with some bands you'll join a band and they're like, Okay, here here's what you're gonna play <laughs> and this is how it's gonna go. 
was that an immediately collaborative thing? Yeah, I think even the second audition, they're like, hey, do you have any riffs or do you write stuff? And I think I played a couple things and they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So right off the bat, we hit it off, you know, musically. We were collaborating right away. And I think within the first like month or something, we had written at least the uh, beginnings of a song. I think it was, might've been Dark World Burden or I think it was Dark World Burden. Actually, it was probably the first one we worked on. Either that or Deadly Fecko. It was one of those two. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably... That's probably the first November's Doom record that I ever heard was Pale Haunt. Um, and I remember listening to it and like the Scarecrow, I think we talked about it this a lot on the discography discussion was like the the, the Scarecrow theme, the Autumn theme, <laughs> you know, um, was in full effect on that. But I thought, I felt like this was the first record where you guys really kind of branched off from that. Like we're a death doom band to we're, we're actually going to be incorporating a lot more um in into what we're doing um and i guess we can we can just thank you for all of that personally right yeah right <laughs> you you're you're on you're you're on live take all the credit nobody else is here you could thank larry and paul for ditching all the horrible ideas that i came into the rehearsal room with so that they didn't end up on the record you're like all right guys what do you guys think about this acapella section like, <laughs> i think it's going to breathe new life <laughs> no that's awesome uh so how how active was the band uh, at this time? Um, I mean, I feel I feel like Pale Haunt was like really huge, whereas like some idiot from nowhere, Missouri would hear would would hear the band for the first time uh, on that record. Were you guys like um, were you guys more like full time active at that time? So that album, I think it hit the right time because we had just signed. It got picked up by the End Records at that time, so they had some really good distribution. It got distributed over in Europe, which Doom had been distributed over in Europe before. But I think um, when they did it with Pale Haunt, we we got more exposure that way. So that definitely gave us a boost in awareness and helped sell records and helped us eventually get over to Europe to tour a couple years after that. I think the first time we went to Europe was 2006. Pale Haunt came out in 2005. Yeah, so within a year, year and a half of that album coming out, we had gotten to Europe for the first time, which was which is awesome. You know, obviously it. You know, November Doom has a long history before that, so that helped in getting that. But I think the push we got behind Pale Haunt helped us, you know, get better awareness all over the world, really. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember just all of a sudden all these websites that I, because I used to read websites for, to, to get album reviews. Uh, I think I, in 2005, I don't think I still had dial up then, but I definitely, there, there wasn't the coverage of music like there is now <laughs> back yeah. then. Uh, you had to kind of like, if you, even if you're looking for something that style, it's still considered niche. The the mainstream magazines aren't covering the bands yet, you know? Right. Um, you know, so w what kind of a lifestyle change is that as far as like you go from not being in a band at all to being in a band that has a, a catalog already. And, you know, they, they, there's, there's certain obligations that they have to meet shows and, and going out of town, going to Europe. Um, what, what, what was that like as far as, as far as like adjustment goes? I mean, we were still working our normal day jobs like we always do. Right. Um, but for me, it was it was that point in my life where I was like, all right, we're getting these opportunities. Like, this is what I want to do. And I'm not going to let, you know, work or other stuff stop me from getting this. Obviously, not trying to hold the band back either. If something happened and I can't go, I don't want that to ever happen. So as far as a lifestyle, it just made music my priority in life, really. You know, I finally had hit something that I knew was was good and we're getting some success with it. I was like, all right, I better stick with this and and not focus on other bullshit in my life and give everything I've got to this, you know? Yeah. That's a good attitude to have. It's funny because like, I'll, I'll, I'll hear so many interviews and even, even some of the ones that I've done where guys are just like, yeah, I don't know. We just started doing it. And then 
two years later, I just didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, it's funny not not that like they didn't have their own reasons or whatever. I mean, everyone's everybody's wired differently. You know. Yeah. Um. Some guys, I think, just like to piddle around on their instrument. They don't actually really want to do anything other than that, and like, yeah. that's totally cool. Yeah, know? that's fine too. Yeah. yeah. But um, what is what was your favorite moment? I guess um, not not of all time, but like just in that in, in that era of joining. Th- this is the part that I find the most. That's why I'm focusing so much on this. Is uh, this the air? This is the part of the musical journey that is the most interesting to me. Is how you go from not being part of it to being part of it. Um, so what, what was your favorite part about this era? Like the, the coolest thing that you think that you did after you joined the band, uh, with the band, uh, besides getting the first pale haunt CD in my hands and opening it and seeing like I was in it and hearing songs on like internet radio and stuff. I was like, Whoa, like that's us. That's, that's crazy. I never thought that was ever going to happen in my life. So that was like huge milestone and, and a thing for me to be excited about. Other than that, like the first time we went to Europe, just how incredible that was. Like people wanted to bring us there to play music for them. Yeah. And, I mean, that's, that's like, how do you even think that that's possible in life? It's weird. Like, you know, you know, you grew up listening to these bands, like, oh, that's awesome. I want to go see them live. But now people want to see your band live. It's just, for me, it was very, very surreal. Like most of this stuff is, you know? Sure. Uh, the funny thing about Europe too. So like, and I've always wanted to ask this and I, I never have. So you're going to be my guinea pig on this one. Um, when you're, when you're playing in like a non, uh, like a non-native uh, English speaking country, as far as those shows go, is there ever any kind of like worry coming up? Like really, they want to, they want to come see it. Like, are, are they even going to understand the songs or, 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 you know, um, or are we just not going to understand them? Or is there, is there any weirdness there? Luckily the, the places we visited or have visited are mo- for the most part, very English friendly. So yeah. you're going to run into people who speak at least a little bit broken English. So they'll understand you'll be able to just have some kind of conversation. Right. And plus with music, Sometimes you don't even have to listen. You have to know the words or what their meaning is. Like Rammstein, perfect example. Like, oh, yeah. When I listen to Rammstein, I don't understand most of what they're saying. Maybe most I, of it I, you I, don't I want to. Up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I might look up the song title and be like, oh, this means that. Oh, okay, I guess so. But it's just, it's music. It's just how it makes you feel and how it makes you want to just break shit or just chill out and zone out or whatever. It's just, it's kind of a language of its own, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, my co-host on my other podcast, uh, Brutally Speaking, he... Uh, he he likes to talk to people about that more specifically where he's like, do, do f- when people come to talk to you after shows uh, in Europe, do they, do they tend to ask more direct questions uh, than what <laughs> they would ask in, you know, cause we all, we always joke there. There's a European question. Like, does anybody come up to you and be all like, you play guitar part on this song on album this way, but live you did it this other way. Was this a mistake? You know, dude, you, you have no idea. Uh, <laughs> One one story, I think it was in the Netherlands. We played a show, and this chick comes off up to us. I was standing there with Larry at, at the merch booth. She goes, November's doom. Oh, I saw you last year. You were awesome, but tonight you you were shit. You were terrible. <laughs> it was awful. And Larry's like, oh, what the fuck? And she just bought like $80 worth of merchandise. So Larry took the merchandise out of her hands and gave her her money back. He oh goes, my See God. you later. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like, no, 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 no! I want to pay for. It. He's like, "What do you? Then why don't you just tell us we sucked? You could have at least, like, you know, been nice about it, even though you thought we sucked. You could have maybe not mentioned it or whatever." But right, and I think yeah. I think that's the biggest cultural difference too is that you know, in a certain sense, you know, I appreciate when people are more honest with me about things, but I also think like because I'm from the Midwest, so like I they they call it Midwest nice. Like, yeah, I probably would have just like 
bought the merch. Well, I mean, I went through years and years. It's weird that I do band interviews now, but like years and years ago, I would have been so embarrassed to even speak to the band after the show that like yeah. I would have just kept my head down and, and bought my merch and left. You know, Wh- whatever I thought about the show, you know, be damned. Um, but that, <laughs> that's hilarious. So he actually he actually refunded her her money. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're much more direct in Europe. I mean, which is fine. That, that's, you know, like you said, a culture thing. It's not like, I mean, it, it, now it's a funny story, but at the time you're kind of like, you're a little bit pissed off, but then at the end of the day, you still laugh about it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, to yeah. a certain extent too, you're like, we traveled halfway around the world to play this show. Like, right. you know, I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong. It's great that you thought we were incredible, you know, the last time you saw us. That's that's awesome. But man, to think that we were just terrible. Um, and how much of that do you think is also like more just the sound person or the venue or the, you know, uh, cause it's not like you're getting up there and you're like, Oh God, how do I, how do how do I play the song again? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's possible. And you know, sometimes we're, I mean, we're active on stage, but we're not as active as like, if you want to go see Iron Maiden or something like that, sure. it's like a humongous show. It's just, it's five of us on stage and we're just doing it. We don't have a bunch of different, you know, effects or, or big props. It's just us playing music. So I guess sometimes it's not as, engaging or exciting i guess as a bigger show but our music doesn't really lend itself towards that kind of vibe i guess you know sure no it's uh it's it's serious business you know uh with with especially some of paul's lyrics and and just uh some of the pain you know that that really shows through yeah yeah. um and the anger you know um very important part of this kind of music and um but what's interesting to me about november's doom specifically is that you know I've talked to you I've talked to I've talked to Paul and for a band that has such gut-wrenching music at times and and very heavy themes you guys are like the chillest like happy go lucky dudes I've ever like really talked to in this genre <laughs> Well thanks man Well no it's just it's just weird you know cuz it's like you you expect like you would expect somebody like Paul like to to take on the like um Oh, what is it? Uh, the the depressed artist, you know, persona like life is pain, you know. Uh, and I guess in, in a certain sense, is it just that the music kind of kind of takes care of those feelings for you in a way? I guess so. We're, I mean, we're a band that takes our like our music and art seriously, but we never take ourselves seriously. Yeah, we were just just a bunch of goofballs, like you said, a bunch of chill dudes. And Paul, you know, can just be an asshole sometimes and just says dumb shit to you, right? And pisses you off. But you know, <laughs> I think that's a Chicago thing. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and it, like, if you hung out with us backstage, like we're not like a big bunch of partiers that drink and do drugs and stuff. Right. Mostly, we're like on our phones, not talking to each other, <laughs> right? Or talking about Star Trek and Star Wars and shit like that, you know? Or even better, but, you're 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 on the phone, or you're you're on you're on your phones, all in the same room together, sending each other memes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my wife do that. It's 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 ridiculous. <laughs> but um you know you guys you guys put out a new record um not i mean 10 it feels like 10 minutes ago but i feel like it was 2019 uh nephilim grove and i yeah i I just skipped over like a whole bunch of records but if you get if you guys want to hear me talk about all the november's doom records uh i've i've done that already um <laughs> but uh painstakingly so uh but we we didn't really get a chance uh, to talk about Nephilim Grove, and I I went into that record not really knowing what to think, and I know I like kind of held off on it, like listening to it seriously because we had just gotten done with like a 
a two week run of listening to only November's doom, you know? Um, and I was a little bit more like, I'm going to go listen to some like acoustic indie, <laughs> indie music yeah. for a while, you know, uh, kind of, kind of right with you, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like cleanse the, cleanse the palate a little bit, you know, right. cause I'm starting to be, I'm starting to get depressed and I have no reason to be depressed, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but you know, whenever I did get a chance to really listen to the record, um, I was completely blown out of the water at how you guys have ba- like, like this is going to sound insulting, but it's not, I just bear with me. Okay. Uh, for a band that has played basically the same style throughout, the amount of actual variety in that sound has expanded so much over the years. And I'm listening, I, I go into it listening to it thinking like, is this, it, are these guys starting to throw like black metal influences in here? You know, um, but then whenever we were talking to Paul, he's like, yeah, I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of the writing is written by guys that don't necessarily listen to just metal all the time or um, he even go into it with that. Um, and he's talking about there being like, you know, little Easter eggs and stuff in, in the music that, you know, nobody's ever going to notice. Um, is that just something that like you've wanted to do since the beginning? Or is that just like, is that just part of the natural writing process? It's kind of a basic question. I'm sorry. That's all right. I'd say it's more of a natural evolution of a writing style. I mean, Back in like Pale on a Novella, I think those were very indicative of that time of our writing style. I think how any band is. I think if you don't involve, then you're not going to do anything different, obviously. But yeah, we always strive to do something new on each album. Um, whether or not we succeed in that, I guess, is up to the the reviewers out there to to claim or whatnot. But we'll let you for know. me personally, I, yeah, <laughs> I'll check out your next episode when you do the the Nephilim Grove one or whatever. There you but, go. Um, <laughs> Yeah, for me personally, like I always try to do something different that's going to get me out of my rut of writing. Because sometimes I'll stick to like, all right, I know this chord uh, progression will work really well. So I'm just going to write five songs that use the same chord progression or whatever. And obviously that gets stale to everybody listening as well as myself. So I just try to find inspiration from other things. Like the last couple albums, I tried to do like alternate guitar tunings where I just like detune one string and not all of them at the same time and try to do weird stuff that breaks me out of that mold, you know, and we've written a couple songs like that. And, you know, we just try to do different um, song structures, maybe different styles of drum beats and stuff that Gary will bring in. And it's just a constant evolution of how can we make the next album better than the previous one, but at the same time, keeping that November's Doom sound, which is, I think, harder than you would think it would be, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does because every album, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, every album since Pale Haunt has sounded different, you know, and that, that's that's where I get the whole a band that plays basically the same style, meaning that like you guys aren't going to turn around and, and, and put out a, like a rap rock album or right. or, or, or decide that like or, or like that Paul's going to just ditch the, the death metal vocals, you know, at some point, yeah. like like there, there's a certain. I don't even want to say it's an expectation, but it, it, there, there's a certain level of like, I know that this band, because I like this band already, that I'm going to continue to like this band, you know? So there's certain elements that I guess in a certain sense have to be there, but that also seems like it could be really stifling as well. So I think that's that's how you get in that That's how you get an album like Nephilim Grove, where it's all like, here's all the things that you guys love, but here's all this other, here's all this other cool stuff that we're, <laughs> that we've been doing. Yeah, you know and that we want to do, you know. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Um, and with that coming out in 2019, um, did uh, this is also a super basic interviewer question. Um, did all the lockdowns and everything like kind of poo-poo some of the stuff that you guys had planned for 2020? Because I mean, 
you guys were rearing and ready to go with a new record and everything. Yeah, so Nephilim Grove came out in November 2019, I think. Fitting. And yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, COVID happened in what, March? Yeah. 2020? Yeah, and we had just signed to Prophecy Productions. They're our new record label. So this was the first release for them. They had, you know, we had an Australian tour for the summer of 2020. We had a bunch of festival plans with the new label to release, you know, and, and promote this new album. And then COVID happens and then everything gets shut down and we can't do anything. Right. Which, you know, it's a major blow to I me mean, to every band out there, you know. Um, yeah, it just sucked because we had a lot of stuff lined up and it was like, all right, dude, 2020 is finally going to be our year. New record label that really wants us and really is going to push us hard. We got this kick ass new album out. Now we get to go show it to everybody. And play around the world with all these things lined up, and then boom, it's like, nope, you guys ain't doing any of that. Right, <laughs> staying home. So that that really sucks, man. But so, what do you? What, what does a band do then at that point? I mean, other than everybody has to stay home, you know, um, do you guys sit down and start writing new music, or do you just like um, just kind of wait it out and be and just be like, all right, as soon as we can go out, we're just going to continue on. Like, I guess what I'm what I'm asking is, is it was there a pause? Or was there a like, well, I guess we might as well do something. Uh, there's been a slight pause. I mean, we haven't really gotten together that much. I think I've, we've only seen each other a handful of times since the whole lockdown thing happened. But I know Larry and I have been writing uh, music. Um, we know, I know we have a handful of song ideas like started. Um, so we'll eventually get in the room together and, and hash it all out and, and get a new album out. I'm just, I don't think we're, we're done with Nephilim Grove because we didn't really do anything to promote it. So to me, it's like, well, crap, man. We this came out, you know, it's going to be almost two years, and then we have to go in the studio and record a new album when we haven't done any promotion for this last album. It kind of sucks, but at the same time, you have to put out a new album for the label and keep going, you know, even though right. this one, you know, is kind of holding you back a little bit. But you got to do what you got to do, I guess. But yeah, we're definitely writing, and we'll probably go in the studio. I'm sure. I don't I mean I don't know for sure, but end of the year, early next year, probably. Quite a guest, yeah. That's a huge bummer, man. And it's 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 been rough seeing how bands have had to kind of adapt, you know, because have have to adapt to this new world of like, well, what do we do now? Do we do a live stream like everybody else is doing? Do we, you know, um, do we do live videos? Do we, you know, what do we what do we do? Do, do we do the whole like everybody's at their house <laughs> with a camera on them, <laughs> you know, playing a song and then like cutting that together like a live performance? There was so much of that. I remember uh, mid twenty twenty. Uh, yeah, I saw a Lamb of God one that was really good. I, I thought that was cool. Yeah, there was one. I think uh, there was a lot of collaborations that at that time too. Um, like I think there was. I remember the the girl from uh, Tatiana from Ginger, not the girl from Ginger. Uh, uh, Tatiana from Ginger was uh, singing, and then I think they had. I can't even remember what other bands were on, but it was like a whole bunch of like bigger bands, like w- would get together and do like supergroup stuff uh, like that. But uh, you know, unfortunately, it's just still not. I mean, I've probably watched twenty or thirty live streams in the past. Yeah. Uh, in the past year and. It as fun as it is, as cool as it is, um, it's just not the same, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't smell you don't smell the beer in the air, and you don't smell the you right, know yeah. like it's just it's different, you know. Stuff stuff that I used to hate about venues, I'm like, oh my god, like let me go use that terribly unkempt bathroom, you know, like yeah, <laughs> like give me something here. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been quite the year. Um, but with, with all that being said, you know, I I do want to focus a little bit more on some of your other creative endeavors. Uh. Number one, number one being your podcast. Okay. Um, you know, tell me, tell me how all that got, uh, how, how all that got started and on the road. Cause, uh, as a podcaster myself, I find that stuff, uh, interesting. And I always kind of like to see if maybe there's, uh, 
something that I'm doing wrong or, <laughs> or something that, you know, <laughs> something I could be doing differently. Yeah. So I do a podcast and YouTube show called Geeking Poetic. And I do that with Larry, the other guitar player from November's, from November's Doom, as well as our friend Megan. And we are coming up on our third year. Yeah. It's been almost three years that we've been doing that. And that all started, um, you know, Larry and I have been talking about doing our own type of nerdy, geeky podcast for a long time. And we just kind of finally did that. Larry's like, you know what? Uh, my friend Megan, she has a background in broadcasting and putting together, you know, radio shows. You know, she can come and help us. You know, one of our main inspirations was the Joe Rogan experience. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, Joe has guests on and he has Jamie who kind of works behind the scenes and yep. does everything. So Larry's like, you know, Megan can handle that stuff and maybe feed us questions and look stuff up while we talk. And we're like, all right, yeah, let's do that. And then as soon as Megan came on, we, we quickly realized that, you know what, she's better is a part of the show and doing stuff with us, not just running, you know, a bunch of mixing boards and stuff. So, yeah, uh, we always wanted to do a, a YouTube um, companion to the podcast show. So we would do these things called teasers, which was like us just filming short videos that were about the next topic that we were talking about spoofing movies that we we're going to be discussing. Like, I think the, the first one we did was about the Langoliers. Oh, nice. Uh, the Stephen King Langoliers show, which I think is a complete masterpiece. And I'm saying that seriously without any joking aside. I think it's a, like an amazing story and great miniseries. I've loved it since the beginning. So I knew I wanted to do that. And Larry was on board as well. And once we did that teaser with Megan, we're like, yeah, she's definitely got to be a part of the show and not just running things. So that's kind of how that all started. And the three of us all have this common love for Star Trek. So that kind of bonds us together. But we also, you know, do the Marvel superhero stuff. Star Wars books, you know, music as well. But Star Trek was kind of the glue that everything else branches off of for us, you know, and that's sure. kind of how it started. And we've just been doing that for like three years. And, you know, we used to do like at least once a month, we do like a special big episode that's kind of died down because we've been busy with other stuff. So we haven't been as on top of it as we were in the beginning, but we still got tons of plans and we do like a game show trivia torture thing on YouTube. And in my basement behind the screen, we have like our studio setups. We've got, you know, our podcast area here with all our toys and stuff. And then we have a big green screen against that wall that we'll do stupid videos with and stuff. So <laughs> sure. it's a lot of fun, man. A lot of fun. Oh, that's cool. I'm still, I'm still relatively new to video. I think I had somebody, uh, probably a European listener, uh, tell me that, uh, he's like, yeah, your videos are great, but they're real basic, bro. <laughs> just, it's just you sitting in front of a camera talking to people and i'm like yeah i know and honestly if i could if i could just take myself completely out of the picture that would be even better um i just i like the audio you know that's 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 yeah, my yeah. whole whole deal but um no that's super cool and and it's fun too to get you know to have a podcast that doesn't have a specific theme i think it, it is kind of the glue that keeps it together because you don't get you don't it, you you don't get bogged down i think I think with any podcast, I think it's a lot of fun at first. And then once it starts feeling like work, you're like, okay, uh, <laughs> you know, what am I, <laughs> what am I going to do now? Um, so what is your, what is your favorite thing about, about podcasting? Honestly, it's just the fun times we have making the show. Like after it's made, you know, I don't really care about watching it or, you know, I want people to enjoy it and like it, but I just, for me, it's just making the damn thing is so much fun. And we've like spent, we've been here till two in the morning, just, crying from laughing because we can't get through our lines for the youtube videos and it's just it's just so much fun man more than anything else like that that's the biggest takeaway for it for me you know uh yeah i mean same <laughs> you know it, as far as that goes um it is it is it's it's not as it hasn't been as fun lately because i'm like once my friends hang up i'm just like uh, okay uh, i guess 
just me again. <laughs> you know, um, you know, my kids are all asleep, you know, at that point. So it's like, there's no, there's <laughs> no time for family time. Um, but, uh, well, yeah, it's been, and, and has that been, has that been a little bit of a struggle too, as far as, you know, you guys, obviously, I think every, I think every podcast with multiple hosts, you guys like to be together when you're, when you're doing them. Um, and whenever you reach that point where you weren't allowed to be together to do them, you know, what, what, what was that like for you? Yeah, that sucked. We did, we tried to do a couple of them, like remote stuff, kind of like we're doing here where we each film ourselves and we kind of do a live thing. I mean, those are okay, but you know, it's better when you're in the same room together. Um, so, you know. It just, it sucks, but, you know, we did that for, you know, the few months or whatever it was, the lockdown happened or whatever, you know, but now we're kind of back to it. You know, we do the social distance stuff, we're all safe and whatever, but yeah, just so much fun when you can bounce off ideas off each other, you know, in real time in the same room, you might come up with stuff that you don't, wouldn't come up with on camera or whatever. Sure. Well, uh, to keep it a little bit less, uh, Hey man, so this happened, how did that feel? Which is what I feel like I've been doing all night. Um, The uh, w- if if you had to pick, where where would you go? Would you go Marvel or DC? Uh, Marvel, Marvel, mm-hmm. just because really? I I yeah, I just like more of the Marvel stuff than I do DC. Although Batman is my favorite superhero of all time. Yeah, and that's DC, obviously. But yeah, just Marvel. I'm just I don't know, especially the movies. I just think they offer more than the DC movies. Yeah, to me. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I'm I'm staunchly Team DC uh, on on a okay. lot of things, um, but movies definitely is not one of them. <laughs> and I should I should preface that by saying I never grew up like reading comic books. So comic books are never like a part of my life. Larry on our show is is the huge comic book nerd. Like he's our go-to guru when it comes to comic books, you know. He's been collecting and reading since he's been a little kid. You know, he still does today. Yeah. <laughs> and he's you know in his 40s or whatever. So oh, that's awesome. I actually had to quit collecting comic books. I didn't grow up reading them either, really. Um I think it was after I got married. Um, my wife was for her, my wife and my mother-in-law were very, very encouraging of me reading comic books because I always loved Batman. Batman is also my favorite, um, and I, so I was I was like really obsessed with Batman, and I was obsessed with those Christopher Nolan movies that came out, and and I just like and I loved the Batman animated series, you know, that grew up watching when I was yeah. a kid. Um, and in my opinion, that's still the best Batman, you know, that that exists, okay. and um, it's what I compare all Batmans to, but. Um, my wife was like super encouraging of like, if you like this stuff, like it's okay. Like y- you're a grown up now, like people can call you a nerd, but like, it doesn't actually matter. So we got, we got really into comic books for about four years. She took me out to a place, uh, on free comic book day. And it was like this giant warehouse. And there was like, I think it was like a hundred thousand comics were Jeez. in long boxes in this like warehouse area. And the whole thing of it was, is each comic book is only like 10 cents. Oh man. But none of them were organized. Oh, dude, so you, man. so you're you going go through, through all those. Yeah. It was, <laughs> and it was really, really smart, but there was actually good stuff in there, but you just had, you had to be able to find, I think I found like an entire run of like old transformers comics from the eighties, Wow, like issue one through 25 and like a bunch of Battlestar Damn. Galactica stuff and, um, and all this stuff. And I got such a, I've got such a wide spread of comics that, like eventually I started getting really tired of having to put like to fill in all the holes, you know, you might get like legends of the dark Knight issues, 47, 48, 49. And then the next one you get might be 63 <laughs> or, you know, uh, that so would drive me nuts, man. <laughs> it, it did drive me nuts. And I think that's, that's really around the time that the Iron Man movie came out, uh, which really, really cemented Marvel as like, Oh, cool. Cause I mean, before, before Iron Man came out, nobody really gave a shit about Iron Man. 
<laughs> you know. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. In the sense, like, I'm sure he had his hardcore fans or whatever, but um, Mar- that, that's whenever Marvel was like, all right, you guys like that? Well, we'll go ahead and do another one. And then, you know, now here we are with Avengers yeah. movies, Thor movies, you know. Not too many Hulk movies. They did make two of those, but yeah, I was never into the Hulk. I don't, I don't get the fascination with that character for some reason. I was really, for me, it was the '90s cartoons, like you said, the Batman animated show. But for me, it was like X Men was huge for me, dude. Oh yeah, dude. Uh, the Spider Man, Spider Man cartoon, uh, some of the Fantastic Four stuff. Yeah, so that was kind of my comic bookish stuff. I was never a reader of the comic books, but I loved all the cartoons back in the '90s. Yeah. Well, the Spider-Man show and the X-Men show especially had like some of the best theme songs. Oh, yeah, dude. I, I mean, just like you hear that. I know. <laughs> and then uh, I think the guitarist from Aerosmith did the song, did the music for uh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man, like, yeah. Radioactive Spider-Man, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, yeah, like the, the, badass, the, the, they were so killer. And then but then you also had the Batman show that was playing, you know, uh, around the same time. And that like for a kid show took Batman so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, to the point where like, sometimes my parents would see me watching it and be like, I don't know if we should let him watch. It. Yeah. I don't know if this is kid appropriate. Cause like Batman's like <laughs> punching people in the face and throwing them off yeah. buildings and you know, like all kinds of people are shooting guns, you know, that, yeah, th- yeah, that was the whole thing. But it's funny because you could tell that the X-Men, co- the X-Men show and the Spider-Man show were done by totally different teams. Uh, are, or that then had done the Batman stuff. Cause back when I was a kid, I didn't really know the difference between Marvel and DC. Yeah. I just knew who the heroes were. Um, and, but it's funny because like they, they would tell the production team on Spider-Man, like, no, you can't have a gun on screen. You can't say kill. You can't do, you know? And so like, those were always like super vanilla to me. And then the Batman one, they were just like, oh yeah, you can have guns. You can shoot guns. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. You just can't kill anybody. <laughs> you know, like you, you, we can't, we can't see anybody get shot with a gun, <laughs> you know? Uh, but all that aside, sorry, kind of sidetrack. I, I could talk about this That's kind right. of crap forever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those show, those shows solidified it for me and it made me think that I was into comic books. And then after getting into comic books for four years, I was like, hey, this is not for me. I mean, cause I already at that point collect, collected music on CD cassette and vinyl uh, as well as collecting like old movies, like old horror movies, old sci-fi movies, um, Godzilla movies, one of my biggest passions. Um, nice. And yeah, I see the poster back there. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love the G-Man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's one of those like collecting, collecting in general. Um, I was like, I can't be a collector of all of these things. And then comic books on top of all yes. of that, you know, and video games, I collected video games, you know, um, which I wish I'd have kept some of those because like now <laughs> what was, uh, where's like your favorite system growing up? Uh, my favorite system of all time is probably my super Nintendo. Yeah. That's a good choice, man. Yeah. I was super, super into Sega and Sega CD. Nice. Back in the nineties. Cause I was a huge, um, like FMV fan, full motion video. Oh as yeah. Opposed to non-motion video. Um, like, night but trap. yeah, like yeah. Night trap, um, microcosm. Sewer yeah, shark. Like, Sewer Shark was badass. Six Niner. Yep. Um, and then oddly enough, the nerdy side, like the Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, point and click fucking detective games. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Those are get, like, fun though. Out. They were. You had to get your notebook out and actually write down the clues so you can, you know, present it to the judge when he had to go win the case or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> man, those were super fun. Uh, and they were. Yeah, like those old, oh, those old systems. I'm sorry to change, like, but yeah, these video. 
video games is is definitely one of those things that over time I've had to just I've had to basically just stop collecting them as well because it got it got to a point where like uh, one of my favorite games of all time is Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance for the PlayStation oh, Two. Fuck yeah, man. it's incredible, dude. And yes. I've I've always wanted to play Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance Two on PS Two. But then, like, go ahead if you're watching this, go on Amazon right now and, and I've look got up a copy that game. Upstairs. Oh well, <laughs> you want to borrow it? I'll send it to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, borrow it. Yeah. <laughs> Five years later, Dan, you remember that copy I gave you? No, I don't remember that at all. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> okay, well, you know, uh, I see how it is. Um, but yeah, you're like, well, okay, I guess I'm guess I'm driving down there to get my game. Yeah. <laughs> you don't live that far from me, so you know, it'd be a day trip. Uh, but it is one of those like. Uh, it is one of those funny things where I, I, again, I found myself in this place of like, just having to fill in the holes, fill fill in the holes of collection, you know, um, CDs, it's even worse. You know, that, that's the only one that I haven't really given up on. I've actually gotten really nostalgic for my CDs lately. Um, man, I had, I'm, it was probably not as much as yours, but I think I had like 200, 300 CDs and I sold them all to somebody, I think in Europe for like, I don't know, a hundred dollars or something like that. Yeah. This was like, I don't know, 10 years ago. Cause I, I was like, dude, cause I was moving a lot at that time. Like every couple of years I was getting a new apartment. I was like, dude, I got to lug all this crap every time I move. I'm not doing this anymore. So I just sold all of it. And I haven't really looked back, you know? Yeah. A lot of the stuff I listen to is just on streaming or I'll download it on iTunes. It's just more convenient to me. You know? Yeah. Even though I do like having the physical copy and opening it up and going through the book. But for me, it was always like, I'll look through it once and then I wouldn't look at it again. And we just keep stockpiling up in a closet. And at some point it's like, oh, I got to get rid of this stuff, you know? Yeah. I feel you there. Cause like, I'm, I'm starting to realize it too. I mean, I've been living in my own home for well over 11, 12 years now, but it's like only now am I realizing, yeah, we have finite space here, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and, and for, with, with my obsession with vinyl, um, has, has, has gotten, had gotten so out of control. It's like there's nowhere to there's nowhere to 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 put these. I mean, it's not like a hoarder's episode over here, but like in ten years, who knows? You know, <laughs> like um, and that weight. I mean, it weighs a ton, and that stuff you know adds up. <laughs> well, <laughs> you and you're constantly you're constantly worrying about it too. Like like whenever a record is shipped to me, I'm immediately like, if anybody, if like if, if my wife is at home, like I might like text her and be like, can you grab whatever packages on the on the door and bring it in? Yeah. Because I was like, I don't want it to sit out in the sun and get warped, right. or you know, or if it's too cold, it's like I don't want it to get cold and brittle, or or yeah. you know, um, I don't want the kids to find it and decide they want to play frisbee with it. You know, <laughs> like oh, we opened up this package and there's this black frisbee in there. Like let's uh, let's toss it around the yard a little bit. Um, and I, and and CDs was the same, but the CD collection came more from just like years and years of doing music reviews for like magazines and stuff. You just, you will make, you get so many CDs nowadays. It's nice. You just have to go to your email box and they'll just send you a stream of a record to listen to for review. Um, which I will argue until the day that I die is not the same thing as reviewing a physical product. Um, there's times where my enjoyment of a CD might actually be based on how the artwork is laid out and how yeah. the how the liner notes are put together. And, you know, I can get a better of appreciation for the lyrics instead of reading a text file with lyrics on it, right. but having like the pictures and the artistry and uh, that's all part of the experience. Um, but yeah, like it, you reach a certain point where it's like, I can't have everything. And I feel like I feel yeah. like Veruca and Willy Wonka, you know, it's like, but daddy, I want a golden goose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so with, with, uh, with, with doing, doing the podcast, 
you've now also added Twitch streaming on uh, to your to your repertoire. Um, what what possessed you to want to do that? I just wanted to play guitar more, and I was always procrastinating about not practicing or playing. So I figured, you know what? If I start a stream, then that forces me to actually play guitar and do it. <laughs> right. And I just, you know, we haven't done anything with the music, and I was like, well, might as well play some November's Doom songs. Maybe some people will see us on Twitch that might not have found us any other way. And we could promote it that way. And that's kind of how it started. I very new. I mean, this is well, my second week of doing it, I think, is the time of this recording. And it's been a lot of fun, you know. Uh, we've had I've had fans come on that I've known and you know, Facebook friends, obviously. And I'm still trying to figure out how to reach people that aren't part of my Facebook circle, I guess. Yeah. You know, I'm still trying to figure that stuff out because your friends will only show up, you know, a couple of times. After that, they're probably not going to show up anymore, you know. Yeah, I mean that's that's band life in a nutshell, right? Like, yeah, hey, my band's playing, <laughs> my band's playing at this local bar, you know, two two blocks down the road. Oh, great, great, yeah, let's get tickets. And you like sell the place out the first night, like, like you know, three hundred people, four hundred people show up. It's like your band's first show, and then yeah. like your second show two weeks later, everybody's like, the venue's like, what, what happened? <laughs> but you guys were like some kind of prodigies, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> like you made people care. Um, <laughs> I think I think with something like Twitch, yeah, the discoverability can be a little can be a little hard at first, um, especially since it being a platform that did predominantly start with gaming, um, but now has has kind of expanded out. You know, I know uh, Phil from All the Remains does like he'll just sit there and sings his songs. Um, yeah, I follow him, and then um, Mike, the guitar player from All That Remains, as well. It's Mike. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I know Matt Heafy from Trivium. I think he's like the biggest Twitch guy there is right now. Yeah. Um, and I discovered new music from being on Twitch. There's a band called Traverser that I discovered from Florida. Yeah. And they're awesome, man. And I just found their Twitch uh, live stream just randomly. And there they are just, you know, the guitar players on there just playing through his songs like I, I was doing. I was like, oh, this is awesome, man. And then trying to network that way. You know, I don't know how else to do it on Twitch. You can only promote on Facebook and Instagram so much before they stop showing your feed. Especially if you put the Twitch link in there, they're not going to show anybody. So. Yeah, because it's weird because like when doing podcasts, I, that always was the lucrative way to promote like, hey, I've got this podcast. You guys should check it out. We're talking about this. You know, we're like, like if I'm doing an episode on November's Doom and I find a November's Doom fan club Facebook page, going to post it in there. Right. You know, like, yeah. like that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, with the Twitch stuff, it's like you, you you'll post on because for me, it was Twitter. I think I think I was streaming on Twitch for about a month or two before Twitter, just like if I, if I mentioned the word Twitch in any of my, in any of my, uh, tweets, it just gone. Yeah. You know, like nobody, you know, they're like, people don't care, man. Uh, because Twitch, <laughs> Twitch can see the other side of it. They can see how many people clicked on that link. You know, they can see how many people yeah. actually cared about, you know, all I can see is the likes and, and, um, and the comments, you know? Um, but I think it's really cool too, with what you're doing because you're offering something, you are offering something more original. And for a November's Doom fan like myself, my favorite thing, too, is just like the songs that you'll decide to play. It's not like you're just like playing songs off Nephilim Grove. Like, hey, guys, this record is still out. You guys should check right. it out. You know, like, um, it, but like you were playing um, you, you were playing some stuff uh, that I didn't even like e even 100 percent remember. Like you were playing stuff from uh, a photic. Or aphotic. I don't know how to pronounce things, but um, I'm pretty sure it's a photic. Yeah, you said yeah. it right the first time. Yeah. Um, you were playing stuff from a photic, and I was like, man, I haven't listened to that record since uh, since we did the episode. You know, so you just busted. So then I'm watching you play it, and I'm like, oh man, like, you know, because I mean, pretty much after my kids went to bed that night, I I pulled the CD out, 
<laughs> you know, pop nice, it in because because it was just one of those like, man, I, I I've kind of forgotten how dark and 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 gritty and intense this record is, um, and how angry it is, and and like it just it it brought up all these like feelings and and things. Whereas I think from my position where I basically listen to music, I don't want to say professionally, but I li- I listen to music is is like my thing that I do. Um, with a band that has a catalog as big as November's Doom, um, I'm all I remember is the last album. Right. <laughs> you know, as time goes on, you just you always remember the last thing uh, that a band does. Um, and so, so, you know, watching you play those songs and stuff, it was really cool kind of kind of to go back and be like, oh, yeah, like I really actually really like this and there not be any pressure. Like, I don't, I'm not doing a review on it or I'm not doing a You know, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just enjoying the music for what it is. And I think I think that's part of what's cool about what you're doing on Twitch is that, like, it is as close to the live experience as we're going to get. But there's just something about watching somebody actually play it on an instrument in front of you. Yeah. That makes it that makes it real. It makes it more personal. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I, I, I think it's cool. And I, I think uh, I think you're going to do well. Um, Thanks, man. Thank you. And we will we'll definitely make sure to leave a leave a, a link to uh, the Twitch channel um, as well as the podcast channel in our in the show notes for the audio cool. podcast for this. Um, just so you guys can kind of check out what we're talking about <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's been cool. It's been cool seeing that and seeing, uh, seeing people kind of come out for it. I think, I think now's the best time to be doing live content because there are still parts of the country that are locked down and there yeah. are still, you know, uh, there's still are a lot of people just kind of looking for some semblance of life before. Right. So uh, I think the trick is I got to find like a good schedule and set, you know, set that up. Where it's like right now, it's been kind of random. It's just kind of like, well, I have some time, so I'm going to do it. But I, from what I've heard, you have to set up a set schedule every week, or else people aren't going to tune in. Obviously, you know. Yeah, yeah. So like, I stream here on Facebook on uh, Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, that's pretty much like, and my game streaming isn't like my biggest, you know, my biggest source of viewership by any stretch. But mm-hmm. um, anybody knows, and that that's that's part of the reason why I like doing it is because. This is a, if you're a listener of the podcast and you want to ask me a question about something that we talked about on the show or or you just want to hang out and joke around and have fun or whatever that like that's your specified time you can be guaranteed every week that we're going to do that you know yeah. and it'll be a, it'll be a priority um if nobody shows up then I played a video game and relaxed for 2 hours yeah. you know what I mean like that's uh, that that's worst case scenario uh, is yeah. still just me relaxing and and playing a game um but yeah you got definitely have to stick to a schedule and, um, cause that, that was the funny thing. I didn't even think about doing a schedule until John and I had to interview, uh, Phil Labonte and he kept getting back to it and we're like, oh, okay, we have to work at, we actually have to work around his Twitch schedule, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, in order to get the interview going. And, uh, that was, uh, that, that was, that was kind of an experience. And we, we, we've kind of seen that with other musicians where they're like, uh, I can't do it on this night because I'm streaming on Twitch and I'm just like, Oh, well, shoot. Isn't that crazy, man? <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm just like, go ahead and go ahead and do your stream. And I'll just ask you all the interview questions in the chat <laughs> just re- <laughs> and just record whatever you say. And then I'll just, I'll go back and pretend like I'm talking directly to you, you know? <laughs> and some of those bigger guys do like two streams a day. Like, I know like Matt Heafy from Trivium, he has got one at like eight in the morning and one at like three in the afternoon. Right. Like every day, like Monday through Friday. It's like, damn dude. And he goes for, I think at least two to four hours each time, you know, it makes sense. Which I guess it, it does for him. Yeah. Cause in the morning you might get the morning guys in America and in the afternoon you might get the evening guys in Europe or, you know, Asia or wherever, you know, so that, that makes sense. Well, and for these, for these bigger guys too, that where music was their job until store, until touring disappeared. 
you know, it makes sense that they're just like, well, I guess the, in, in, in a way, this is their way of it still being their full-time job. Yeah. You know, um, they're putting the same amount of time and dedication into it. So it's definitely, it's definitely cool. And, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't kind of can't wait to see who goes, you know, are we at some point where like Metallica is going to be on Twitch and just like <laughs> playing every day, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, hopefully not right. Like hopefully, hopefully everybody can, can go back out on the road and, yeah. um, and start hanging with people, you know, because I remember when we, when we did that interview with Paul, uh, in 2019, I think we did that right before Nephilim Grove came out. We, uh, we, Joe and I were like, yeah, like, let us know next time you guys are playing, we'll just drive up because it's not that far of a drive for us. And it's yeah. like a, like a half a day trip, you know, um, sounds like a good time. And Paul's like, oh yeah, that'd be, that'd be like super cool. And then like, yeah, that never happened. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there, there was none of that. Uh, uh, one of my favorite bands is, uh, is Zayo and they were, they were supposed to play this. They were supposed to play this show. It was a CD release show with code orange. It was going to be like Zayo, Jesus peace and, uh, code orange. And, um, that show that was ended up being like one of the last shows that took place and it didn't mm-hmm. actually even take place in that they canceled the show. And then code orange, like famously went on and did a live stream oh, that really? night of, of their performance. And I think that's kind of what kicked off kind of the whole live stream, uh, thing. So, you know, actually we, we do have comments I want to read cause I, I've been, I've been neglecting the, the, the chat and comments. Um, oh. but yeah, oh, we, great. Yeah, we have shows going on here in South Carolina. All restrictions were lifted. Oh, nice. that's cool. Depending on what, you know, I'm not going to get into a debate on whether people think that's cool or don't think it's cool. I think it's great that people can go see shows. That's yeah, that's as vanilla of a statement as I'm going to make on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I think I think that's super super cool because uh, you know I I miss it. You know, yeah, for sure, man. Like like a hundred percent. Like even even like going to the movie. I think our movie theaters are starting to open up because uh, I'm in Missouri uh, in St. Louis, and um, our movie theaters are just now starting to kind of reappear. But it's weird because like when I'm thinking about new releases, like when Godzilla versus Kong comes out, yeah, be the first time I go and see a Godzilla movie, like a recent Godzilla movie, like and I'm just gonna sit in my living room and watch it. <laughs> it's weird, right? Super weird. But it's not I like I'm getting last... away with something, you know? Right. I think the last movie I saw in the actual theater was uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Yeah. We did that for the podcast because we sometimes we'll go to a, a, a movie theater, watch the newest movie, and then do like a review of it in the parking lot. I think that was the last time we actually went was for that movie. Yeah. I actually didn't get to see that one in the theater when the night it came out. Me and a bunch of my buddies did. And I ended up having to like work really late that night because, of course, I oh. did. You know, like that's just how those things happen. Yeah. Um, I remember being bummed about that. But oh, that movie was awesome. I forced my wife to watch it a couple of weeks ago because I was like, well, I'm going to force you to watch Godzilla versus Kong. You know, um, is she not a kaiju fan? Uh, she doesn't hate it. Uh, she's incredible. So, of course, she likes she likes that I like it. I see. <laughs> you know, like, like it is very encouraging. She'll, she'll buy me, you know, if, if there's a Godzilla versus Kong t-shirt out there that I really want, she'll encourage, you know, encourage me to get it. If not get outright, get it for me, you know? Nice. Um, yeah. and that's how I end up with these like posters and, and, you know, uh, Godzilla action figures and, you know, like all that stuff. I'm nice. a huge, huge <laughs> Kaiju fan. Um, and just main, mainly Godzilla, like my, my kid, uh, my, my second youngest son, I've got like, I got a whole short bus full of kids. <laughs> um, but his like his, one of his favorite things in the entire world is Gamera. Nice, like I loved just, Gamera when I was a kid, dude. Ugh. Yeah, he'll he'll he literally like he'll see a turtle and be like, they've got these like kids toys, and I remember like my wife pulling out like a turtle, and he's immediately like, "That's Gamera," <laughs> like straight awesome. up. 
Yeah, like, <laughs> like, like it's funny. Like most kids, you know, I like turtles, but the first thing that they're uh, the first thing that they're going to uh, identify is Gamera. That's 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 how I want my kids to think. <laughs> like, my uh, my godson, my youngest nephew, is obsessed with Godzilla. Every time I'm at uh, their house, he's always like, "Hey, Uncle Vito, can we watch a Godzilla movie or something?" And he's always got to watch Godzilla. It's it's awesome, man. I think Godzilla is one of those movies where like kids always start off with that movie for some reason. Like mm-hmm. no matter, you know, you're always going to be into Godzilla as a kid. I think that and dinosaurs. Yeah. Just a given, you know? Oh yeah, totally. Like there, <laughs> it's weird too, because I was nervous the first time I showed my kids like a Kaiju movie because I, I was afraid that number one, a, there might be some content in it that I don't remember that probably they shouldn't see, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I've, I've never seen anybody get raped in a ka- kaiju movie. You know what right. I mean? Like, uh, at least not the ones that I've seen. Please don't send me a bunch of examples of that. I'm not like super interested in that. But, uh, the, but uh, you know, I was just afraid that the monsters were going to scare them. Yeah. You know, because I, I remember putting Power Rangers on uh, for my daughter when she was real young. And um, she would just always tell me that like people shouldn't fight and that they're making bad choices. And I was like, well, you know, you're not wrong, you know, like it, but it's, it's a show, you know, like it's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not, but I remember the monsters would, would scare her in that. So I kind of like backed off off on it for a while. And then, uh, whenever I had boys, you know, um, I was just like, I don't know, maybe they'll dig it, you know? <laughs> and yeah, then it yeah. just became, <laughs> and Godzilla, they did think was scary or, but then um, Gamera, Gamera was the sweet spot because Gamera rescues children. Like right. everybody, you know, G- Gamera, friend of all children, you know. And I think there's one Gamera movie. I can't remember which one it is right now, but like Gamera basically like drop. He like rescues a bunch of kids from some from aliens or something and then like drops them off at a carnival. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he should have stuck around. You see Gamera like yeah. buying cotton candy for kids and stuff <laughs> like uh, it's just it's just completely wild. Um, but yeah. Um, have you seen all the Godzilla movies? Uh, dude, there's gotta be at least what 50 of them by now. So probably not. I'm sure. Not. I, I could count them all up, but I don't want to reveal how big of a dork I am. Um, I've I got really most like, of them. Do you? Okay. I know in the, like the late nineties, mid nineties, they were doing like a resurgence. Um, like the, I call them the modern Godzillas, like, uh, Godzilla versus mega Guirius and stuff where there was like a black hole and this dragonfly got sucked into. Yeah. It. Yeah. The millennium really, series. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 I was really into that stuff. I go to Blockbuster and rent those tapes at that time. Um, yeah, when I was a kid, I always was watching the the sixties, seventies ones on TV. You know, late at night, or if Sven Gulli was running them, I'd watch him on Sven Gulli. Yeah, I don't know if you guys got Sven Gulli down by you, I don't, I don't know think if he was a did. national. Okay, actually, I I I think my uncle might have, but he had like this incredible antenna array. Uh, okay, <laughs> so, so he got he got channels that nobody got. Yeah. Yeah, Sven Gulli, uh in Chicago, like he would just run all these like older movies and they would like spoof it and do commentary. And there was one movie I remember watching called The Brain, which I fucking loved, man. You ever see The Brain? I want to say I have and I want to say I saw it late night on TV, but not on. Um, yeah, no, that's weird. Yeah, but I don't remember a whole lot about it. Yeah, it was just one of those that's always stuck in my head. It's basically just a gigantic brain. Well, it starts off as a small brain and they grew it in a lab and then it escapes and starts eating people. Yeah, it gets which bigger and bigger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that brain has a digestive system in it. Okay, yeah, I cool. <laughs> I do miss uh late night movie. I think Invaders from Mars, the 80s, I think it was like an 80s remake of Invaders yeah. from Mars used to be on all the time uh when I was a kid. Like all these, all these weird movies, like and I and I kind of I kind of miss that to an extent because like now you hear about something and you can just watch it instantly. But there is some, like I, I've got so much option paralysis at this point 
where like dude for real i end up doing nothing because i can't decide exactly. what to do or what to listen yeah, to what on, to play yeah. What to, yeah. yeah you go on netflix and you're like all right well, what am i gonna watch and you spend 30 minutes and then you're like i'm just gonna go to bed at this point yeah well, i hate that that's why i watch literally i literally watch like the same movie every night when i go to sleep just so i can go to sleep yeah i don't have to think about what i'm gonna put on yeah that's funny <laughs> i did actually did that for a couple of years with the original tron Nice. Um, because it, it, it's not because Tron's like a boring movie or anything. It's just that it has um, it, it has a uh, it's it's the lighting. I think like the dark, like the dark, like the light blue. Like I don't know, um, just the coloration or whatever just puts me right to sleep every time. Because I always like I have Tron T-shirts and some people are like yeah, I love Tron. Tron's one of my favorite movies of all time. You know, and uh, my wife's like, yeah, yeah it's Grace. funny that you say that because you fall asleep <laughs> all the time when you're. <laughs> Yeah, Graves, it is kind of like Blob with Cerebral Cortex. You're right. <laughs> I was thinking that, yeah. Uh, have you seen both Blobs? You've seen the original and... Yes. Which one do you think is better? Fucking 80s, dude. Yeah. Hands down. I mean, that's one of like the greatest special effects movies I think I've seen. Next to like, The Thing and stuff, you know? I just, I just love that concept of the Blob being like this genetically engineered thing that crashes from a space station or, or capsule and just eats a whole town. <laughs> right. I just love right. that storyline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is funny because it's like I, that that's the first movie like and that's an example of what i was saying as a kid like because i remember that being on tv and it's the very first time i've ever watched a man be sucked through like the the space between the stairs you know like, right you know it like or come out he's just dissolved from acid you're like oh my god dude what is this crap yeah <laughs> The worst so one, good. the worst movie my dad ever walked in on me watching. Um, and it's so funny too because you say walk in, I'm just like, oh, were you watching porn? No, it wasn't even for that. It wasn't even like that. That that would be like a normal thing for a dad to walk in on you watching, right? Right. But no, uh, he walked in on. Uh, I was watching The Fly, Jeff Goldblum in The Fly. Nice. Yeah, and that is such a gross out movie. He walked in right during yeah. the arm wrestling scene. Oh, oh, uh, dude, like, oh. oh yeah, yeah. Man. I can't do broken bones, dude. Oh, yeah. He took, he literally just. He didn't oh. say anything. He just walked in, turned off the TV, grabbed the TV, <laughs> and just walked out of my room with it. <laughs> I didn't have a TV in my room for like two more years after that. Oh, like, no. Yeah. And then if you ever meet Goldblum, you got to tell him that story, man. What's that? Oh, yeah, so right. If you ever meet Goldblum, you got to tell him that story. I'd be like, you're the reason I didn't have TV in my room for, <laughs> for however many years. Or that baboon scene. I think that that's the, the where the baboon gets transport gets transported and is turned inside out. Yeah, that's man. Oof. Yeah, it's disgusting. But yeah. I mean, it's it's an all time classic. Like just the, the the level of special effects in the eighties uh, for some of this stuff is was just astronomically like in its own plane of existence. I don't <laughs> I don't really know how to explain yeah, it. Like because I guess not. Yeah, I guess special effects look better now, or they're supposed to look better. Uh, but there's something about in the '80s where, like, you, when you're actually creating something and then filming an actual object and and it having that convincing nature, and I think I think that's what I like about the kaiju movies too, is that like, especially the, some of those newer Godzilla movies. Like, if you look at like uh, like Megagirus, like you were saying, or Megagirus, or however you pronounce it. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce um, it. <laughs> That's still a dude in a suit. Yeah, that's what's so awesome about it. I mean, there's there's CGI that enhances, I guess, some of those scenes. But yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, it's a dude in a suit beating up some other dude in a suit. I mean, that's that's what you want out of those movies. A hundred percent. That's why I still watch Power Rangers as an adult. Like, I'm not I'm not ashamed. Like, yeah, I get it. It's it's a Japanese show, but to me, that makes it more legitimate. Like, it's a Japanese produced uh, kaiju TV show. Right. You know, it's like the same reason I like Ultraman. You know. It's all it's all just complete garbage to watch, but is entertaining because 
you're not going to get that experience anywhere else. No. Like I was sitting there watching Godzilla versus Megalon, which is like one from the, I can't remember if it's from the sixties or seventies. Um, but you got the cockroach guy with the drills on his hand. Yeah. And then they had this Ultraman ripoff, uh, named Jet Jaguar. That was also Jaguar with the little kill. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Jet Jaguar, dude. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember just sitting there watching that movie and a buddy of mine was over. We were just having beers watching a movie. We decided to watch Megalon for whatever reason. And, uh, he was like, he's like, you just, he, he, we're watching the, this ridiculous scene of like three dudes in suits fighting each other in front of like these little cardboard buildings. Right. And he's just like, you know, visually nothing else is ever going to reproduce this. <laughs> like this is, this is a completely unique cinematic experience. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's, that's really what attracts me to it is just that, that whole idea of, yeah, it's completely ridiculous. It's completely dumb, but at the same time, um, if you can, there's you a, know, suspend your disbelief. It. Yeah, it just I don't, to me, it makes you more invested in it, and you have more respect for the guys that made the film because they made something with their hands. It wasn't just on a computer mouse on their computer or whatever. It's just I don't know. To me, it's it's more engaging when you see that. Like I still get giddy when I see a stop motion effect in a in a cheesy movie. It's like, oh yeah, they're using stop motion. That's so awesome. Yeah, and they could have just resorted to some computer graphic or whatever. Well, I nerded out even whenever I saw Star Wars Episode Eight. I know, blasphemy, right? What terrible movie, blah, 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 blah. But I, I like the fact that Yoda was a puppet. I remember that being like, you know, for a movie that people have very different opinions on, uh, I, I was just stoked that they're like, yeah, they did They did more practical effects here. They did so, like, that's the kind of stuff that I kind of look at with movies sometimes, especially if I'm not particularly engaged with the plot. <laughs> you know, right, I'll, right. Uh, I'll definitely start noticing like, oh, cool. You know, and I like that. I like that they didn't CGI Chewbacca at any point. They still put a guy, you know, in that, in that yeah. probably horrible to wear suit. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, but they, they, they make it real and they make it cool. And, uh, that's a comment worth, uh, that's a comment worth showing. <laughs> I'm such a loser. All I watch is Star Trek. Well, that's all right. Graves. I mean, Star Trek is probably the least loser thing you could watch. I, in my opinion, I don't know. Well, legit question. So I'm not like <laughs> against Star Trek. Or I don't have any issues with Star Trek, but I haven't like my wife and I sat down and we were like, what's everybody's favorite Star Trek thing. We're going to watch the next generation. And the first episode of The Next Generation on Netflix, that whenever we watched it, was so weird that I remember us being like, this yeah, is dumb. I don't know if this grabbed me. And it's weird because I, I just talked about how like, oh, Megalon is so cool. And it's this <laughs> or that. Right. But then it's it's also kind of <laughs> like it, it's absolutely not. It's absolutely not dumber than that. Uh, yeah. So the, the thing with Star Trek is it doesn't get you right away. It takes like three seasons of each show before you're like, this is awesome. Like the first season or two, man, there's some stinkers in there for sure. Yeah. Um, so it's not like th- I can kind of see the appeal of star Wars in that way. where like, when you watch star Wars, in my opinion, you're instantly grabbed into that storyline, the visuals, the characters, like you're instantly hooked with star Trek. I can see why you're like, well, this is weird and not paced how I think it should be paced or whatever. So I think, it does kind of get nicked for that. But once you get past those first season, you know, the first couple seasons and it's, it gets starts getting really incredible, man. <laughs> Don't you talk shit about Picard. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to talk shit about Picard, dude. He's my favorite captain of all time. Although captain Janeway sometimes gets close to Picard, man. Cause Voyager sometimes is neck to neck with TNG for me. Yeah. I know a lot of people don't, don't agree with that, but that's how it is. Do you like the movies that came out based on the uh, on the next generation? Absolutely. Even though Picard seems to not act like he acts on the show in the movies. Um yeah, he's a little bit different, but I just uh, the movies are just to me they're just so awesome. 
Uh, actually, the first Star Trek movie I ever saw was uh, Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home, which was the original cast uh, movie. The one with whales in it, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and, okay. yep, and a lot of people right. are like, yep. that's the worst Star Trek ever. But dude, when I was a kid, I loved that thing, man. I love time travel. Yeah. And I just, I was totally engrossed in it. So, but yeah, the next gen movies I think are fantastic. Just visually to look at are, are, are amazing. You know, first yeah. contact, I think is one of the, one of the best movies ever made. You know, it's one of the, it's, it's that sweet, it's that nice sweet spot between like the more, you know, CGI heavy computer effects stuff, but also with kind of that nineties gloss over it. I call it the gloss, like the yeah. v- almost VHS gloss over it where right. there's still enough practical effects for it to look cool. Even though you could tell they were de- basically done on the same budget as the show. Yeah. Um, but you know, what are you going to do? People are going to, people are going to still go out and see it in droves. Right. <laughs> Did you like the new star Trek movies that came out? Like the newer, um, the JJ Abrams one. Yeah. The Abrams ones. Yeah, I did actually. I saw the first one in the theater, I think opening night, dude, I really, really enjoyed that movie. And to me, that's like, if you're a star Wars fan, I think you should start with those movies and then work yourself back. Because to me, those felt more Star Wars-y, I guess, than Star Trek. They're a lot more action-based. Um, some of the ships look like it could be in a Star Wars universe. It just kind of had that feel, um, you know. I've definitely heard criticisms of of them all, along the lines of... Because I liked them, but I'm predominantly more, more of a Star Wars fan. And I liked them because they were like... I was like, oh, they're doing Star Trek, but they're doing it a little bit more like Star Wars. Such, you know... Uh, as you know from being a musician uh, in a in a uh, in a heavy band, uh, how there's always going to be those people that come out of the woodwork and are like, "Well, um, you see, they sold out here because uh, yeah. you know now now they're doing Star Wars type stuff, and that's not what Star Trek is all about. And the characters are not being portrayed correctly because they would, you know, uh, I, I know those guys. I, I've been that guy before, uh, you know, more more with music than I have been with with uh, yeah. with with movies, but. Um, it's definitely, you know, a a criticism that I think is interesting where they're saying like, oh, they're making it more action packed or they're making it more uh, as a Star Trek fan. Is that, uh, is that a bad thing? No, I think it it appeals to certain people. And I think if you're a hardcore Star Trek fan, you can still appreciate and enjoy the newer Star Trek, um, universe, you know, sure it's different, but it's still awesome and still a lot of fun to watch. You know, I don't think you have to be this side or that side, you know, there, I think there's a middle ground there you can share. And even though I prefer Star Trek, I still like Star Wars, but you know, it's not always my favorite number one go, you know, go to or whatever, but it's still awesome, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I really enjoyed them. I just interested. I don't. A lot of the people that I talk to, um, in not not on podcasts, but a lot of people that I talk to that are that are either staunchly Star Wars or staunchly Star Trek, um, are like there. There's almost no middle. It's almost like Marvel and DC fans. There, there's almost no middle ground. So it's just refreshing to hear somebody be like, "Yeah, you know what? I, I'm just going to take whatever I, you know, whatever they give me. It, it, you know, I, I like all of it. I just I do think that there's kind of an oversaturation with Star Trek. Um, I don't know how you feel about that way with Star Wars or not, but with Star oh, Trek, I, do like now. We had that, oh, yeah, right. I don't know how many TV shows are out for Star Wars right now. It's going to be like five or six, right? Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, you guys like Mandalorian. Yeah. What do you, let, let's, let's count it. Let's do, let's do the thing. Let's count them on the fingers. We've got um, Clone Wars, which I think is probably over now. Uh, Rebels, which might also be over. And then you've got the Mandalorian, and now they're going to do a Boba Fett spinoff, and then they're going to do a a Obi Wan Kenobi TV show. What's the um, what's that one? Uh, Ahsoka Kana, Ahsoka Tana. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's That's getting right. her own. Yeah, right. 
And then um, I think they're even going to do a show starring CG. Uh, like, I think they're like CGing a young Luke Skywalker. Oh, like they did I think at I the saw end something of, about that. Yeah, well, they had him basically appear on screen as young Luke Skywalker um, in The Mandalorian. Uh, and everybody, yeah. everybody went crazy. Uh, although I almost, it's weird to me, like that Mark Hamill basically was like, yeah, I'll just sell you my old life, my old likeness. And you guys can go in with computers and, you know, and do whatever it is that you want to do. Whereas, you know, in the old days that that's almost unthinkable. Like, so this is an interesting question and I'll, I'll probably, uh, we'll probably start winding down here after this, but, um, this is something that's, you know, from, from, from a movie nerd to another movie nerd. Um, do you think that it's weird or do you, do you think that it's more acceptable to just cast a new actor and just say, yeah, this guy's going to be the young Luke Skywalker. He might look a little bit like Mark Hamill. He might talk a little bit like Mark Hamill, but do you think that the fan base at large would just, would be willing to accept, you know, a different actor playing that role or playing any, any role of a famous, uh, movie character? I don't think they would in the Star Wars universe. I think that that niche is pretty like hardcore. It was like, it's got to be Mark Hamill. It's got to be Harrison Ford or whatever. So I don't know if they're going to be that welcoming to somebody else playing Luke Skywalker. Right. To me, I, I think my problem with all that is like, you're rehashing old ideas. It's like, can't you just come up with new characters that are interesting? Like I really liked not all of them, but the newer uh, Star Wars movies, the seven, I'm going to screw this up. It's at seven through nine, seven, eight, nine. Yep. Seven, eight, nine. Dude, I really like like Ray and all the newer characters that were on that, like a lot, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, so I I just wish that they could do more of that kind of stuff and not kind of rehash old characters and have to re you know CGI their face because they're no longer around or they don't look like they did. Just come up with new stuff, man. That that's my only gripe about all that. Yeah, because they did that. Too. So the weird thing is, and this is where it's going to get deep and ethical, you know. Um, but like the it was Rogue One, I believe, where they basically made a they had a guy stand in but they cg'd grand moff tarkin because the actor that played that yeah. character died years ago i mean he was old in the original star wars you know like <laughs> you know there's no way he's gonna still be around for this movie and they basically just had a guy stand in for him and do like his best impression of the voice and uh the thing that i thought was really weird about it is they cgi'd him to make him look identical to how he did in the original movie um, but the weird part about it for me was that if you have a guy that is the same height, sounds exactly like the guy, you mean to tell me you couldn't have just like cast that guy as that character, but instead you had to make him look identical to <laughs> what he looked like, you know, in a movie that's like 30 years old or probably yeah. almost 40 years old now. Yeah. <clears throat> and I really like Rogue One. I thought that was a really, oh, it was probably great. one of my favorite Star Wars movies, you know? Yeah. That and the, I love the Mandalorian, dude. Oh, yeah. I think that series is top notch. Some of my favorite Star Wars is Mandalorian, Rogue One, you know? I think Empire, Empire is probably my favorite Star Wars movie, though. Yeah. But Rogue One and Mandalorian are like pretty, pretty high up there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like those. The, I think the only, the only Star Wars movie that's come out recently that I didn't really love was the Solo one. Um, but that also answers the question too. How's the fan base going to react if it's not Harrison Ford about how they, about how they did to to solo where they had a different guy in who I thought did an amazing job. I actually really liked that solo movie, dude. We saw it in the theater and I had like a really, really fun time with that. I mean, I think the guy they got, Oh, go ahead. I didn't understand like the ending with like, um, wasn't Darth Maul in the end there? Darth Maul. Yeah. I was like, well, wait a minute. He's still alive. I think I cut in half, but apparently he's got robot legs or something and and it, in the rebel series or yeah. something like that. I don't yeah. know. So I, I was like, oh, I don't understand this, but the rest of the movie, I really enjoyed, man. 
Yeah, they yeah, and that that that's one of the biggest things with people in Star Wars now is that unfortunately just watching the movies isn't sufficient enough. <laughs> you know, because now they they've expanded out so so much. Um and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the comic books is like at some point it's like do I actually as a fan of something do I actually care enough to go back and and read all the supplemental material? People joke about how like you can pause any scene in a new movie uh, especially if it's part of the big franchise, whether it be Marvel or Star Wars or or even Star Trek, you can pause any point in that movie, and there's a Wikipedia page dedicated to every right. single person that's in that screen, you know, that's in that scene. You know, like it's 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 a little much. Uh, it's it's hard. You know, it's like um, it'd almost be like you know we were doing discography discussion, and I like went through the liner notes of every single album and like looked at who the band members were and then gave like a biography on each of the band members, like that was on each record and then be like, and then on this record, so-and-so decided to leave the band halfway through the recording of the record. And you know, like uh, it just gets to a point where like, I do wonder if nerd culture being as big as it is, has led us to kind of a um, kind of a unique spot in fandom where fandom is now so much more extreme than it ever used to be. Especially when you make movies that are all just a bunch of references to canon material that you have to go read to understand what the hell they're talking about in the movie that you paid money to see. It's like, I just came to watch this movie to get the complete story in this two hours. And now I'm not because I have to go read a book series that has seven books in it just to understand who this character is and his motivation that has the impact on the ending or whatever, you know, that, that stuff that I don't particularly enjoy. Yeah. Well, like my problem is with the Marvel movies, everybody was talking about in like, okay, so, you know, I haven't seen Endgame. Wow. Um, and I don't even think, I think the last movie that I watched was civil war up to this point, like today. Yes. You haven't seen those yeah. really? Wow. And the reason is, is because I got behind <clears throat> and I oh, got okay. behind to such a point where it seemed overwhelming to have to go back and watch. Cause I mean, you got to think at this point, I'll have to go back and watch what, like 50 hours worth of movies, <laughs> you know, in order, in order Pretty to be much, up yeah. to speed of, of what's going on. And it's been such a long time that like, they might reference something that I only kind of remember, you know? So then it's like, well, what do I do now? I use, <laughs> then it's like, so I've tried rebooting like several times. Like I'll start with, like I'll get to iron. I'll watch iron man, uh, iron man two. And then I'll watch Thor uh, and then I'll watch Captain America and I'll watch of uh, the first Avengers movie. Um, and then, you know, I can get, I usually always get all the way up to Ultron before I give up and I'm just like, Oh, I'm just, I'm marveled out. You Burned know? Out, yeah. Like it's it happens just, to me too. Like I, I'd watched a bunch of Marvel movies and like, I'm not going to watch any Marvel movies from now on. And I got behind too, like six or seven movies I didn't watch, but I still ended up going to see like some of the bigger mashup movies. So yeah. some of the characters, I had no idea who they even were. Or what happened to them that they're talking about because I didn't see the other movies but to me they're still fun to just go watch and have a good time like I'm not super super into the storyline and the characters backstories that that stuff kind of matters to me you know yeah yeah totally I, it's just it's so it's such such a strange thing it's it, it's I do think that it's super cool that like as fans of certain franchises and properties though that like we we are now so spoiled to the point where we almost feel burdened <laughs> by it you know because I remember being a kid and like I got really into Battlestar Galactica, um, but there was nothing about it. Like they they relaunched the series in like 2005 or something, but which uh, was amazing. Paul, Paul from November's Doom got me into Battlestar the the reboot, and I watched like the first season. I was like, holy shit, this is like one of the greatest TV shows ever made. Yeah, <laughs> but I, t- for me, I dropped off. I didn't watch it after that. And I know there's other offshoots and stuff, but 
man, that show was really, really good. Yeah, it was. Well, in the 1970s one, which was basically like a ripoff of Star... Well, it wasn't a ripoff of Star Wars, but I know like Lucasfilm sued them because of how similar... <laughs> how similar some of the scenes were, you know? Um, but the original series, like it's kind of dumb and it's like very seventiesified and, and all of that. Um, but like, I thought that that was really cool, but other than like a couple of novels that were written by, uh, you know, one of the guys that starred in the show, yeah. there wasn't anything, even, even star Wars before shadows of the empire in the nineties, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of star Wars stuff. Like there were star Wars novels, but you basically had, the three movies and you yeah. had some crappy video games except for shadows the of the empire and n64 <laughs> yes right well shadows of the empire was the first like it that was kind of the genesis of a lot of this stuff because shadows of the empire launched as a novel as a comic book and as a video game mm, i see so it was it was one of the very first like let's let's take this to as many you know you got to collect all three to really get the full right, story right. because each the game was from the from the perspective of dash rendar and the uh, mm-hmm. The book was, I think, more overall. Uh, and then you had I the comic think. series. It, it was just, it was everything. Um, I think John Williams even did a soundtrack for it. Oh, well. I might have just made that up, but I, I feel mm-hmm. like he, I feel like he did that. Um, well, yeah, because that had been the music that was playing in the video game. That game has not aged yeah. well, by the way. Um, I saw somebody, I think it was Angry Video Game Nerd was playing it. Yeah. Or somebody on YouTube was playing it. And I looked, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, you're right. But dude, when that came out, I was like, holy shit, this game is incredible, man. That Hoth like, battle at the 64. beginning. Oof. Yeah, dude. Yeah. That's actually still kind of fun to play. It's just the rest of yeah. the game that's kind of like, oh, I could be playing Doom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember how hard that game was Like when you have to go against the Slave 1 or you're on that train and you got to hop against those cars. And yeah. I would always die. I don't think I ever beat that game. It's I've beaten it quite a few because I mean I at the time that I got it I had that and Super Mario sixty four and I think Star Fox I didn't have a whole lot of games love Star Fox sixty four oh yeah I, I played That's the so crap good. out of that game and it's funny I was actually disappointed whenever I first got it because I played all the way through it one time taking one of the paths and I'm seeing yeah, the credits rolling and I was like it, really is that it. <laughs> Like that's the whole game, and then I realized, like, oh, okay, you can take branching paths, and then you can earn medals, and then you can, yeah, I probably, I probably poured one, two hundred hours into that game whenever I was younger. Do a barrel roll, yeah, do a barrel that roll. sticks in my head at least once a week, dude. Yeah, <laughs> they had like the anti Star Fox team, Star Wolf, you know, like yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so dumb. But so awesome, like <laughs> it's so fun, man. Yeah, because then you could drive like the tank in that one level, and then there's like the submarine level, and yeah, oh, uh, dude. They're supposed to make an N64 um, like classic. You know, they made the NES and the mm-hmm. SNES classic. They're supposed to do one for N64, and if they do, dude, I cannot wait until I get my hands on that, because I love the shit out of that system. Yeah, absolutely. But speaking about Star Wars video games, my favorite Star Wars video game is probably Jedi Starfighter for PlayStation 2. Oh, that's a good one. I don't know if you've played that game. Yeah, yeah actually, yeah, I have it on my really Steam good. library right now oh, nice. on this computer, because they release it for computer as well. Oh, nice. Um, love that game. Love it, love it, yeah, love dude, it. Yeah, dude, it's so good. Uh, if I had to pick a favorite, though, it probably would be Rogue Squadron on the N64. Yeah. Um, very much like Starfighter. I mean, Starfighter had better graphics, obviously. You know, for, yeah. for I mean, of course, it's funny. If I pull it up now, I'll be like, oh, God, this game looks horrible. But um, but yeah, that, I used that to one love was a lot the, of fun. The old, yeah, I used to love the old PC Star Wars games, too, from the early 90s. Like Dark uh, Forces. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. Yeah, those are a lot of fun, dude. I miss, see, my... I guess early PC gaming was also my favorite system, but I used to love like 90s point and click adventure games and full motion video games from the PC era. Dude. Oh, yeah. I would play those all the time, man. And I discovered that people play those on Twitch. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. thought people only played shooters on Twitch. So 
when I found that out, I was like, oh man, now I have to stream myself playing these old point and click games just because I'm a fucking huge dork and that's what I like to do. I, I mean, those games are great. They're not my they're not my favorite because I was just never good at them. I wasn't smart enough to figure out the puzzles and stuff. And so some yeah, and some of those are just they don't even make any sense. Like the guy just made something up that doesn't even make any remote sense or logic why you would put those two things together but you had to do that in order to beat the thing or whatever yeah or like playing a game like mist where you have to find a pebble that's like one pixel large in the dark corner of that cave like how would you know where to click you know if you didn't have the walkthrough guide or whatever yeah mist i mist actually really killed my appreciation for the type of game i had another game that was just like mist called it was ray bradbury's the martian chronicles okay and it was yeah. super creepy you know you were on mars and um, Doom also takes place on Mars, um, yeah. but like it, it was it was super creepy and super fun. So I remember playing that game first, and then playing Mist afterwards. Um, and just the puzzles in Mist didn't make any sense. Or you'd you'd flip a lever, and then like somewhere yeah. else on the island, something <laughs> happened. But you don't you don't know that. Like you can't right. <laughs> you can't move in in real time. I also felt rep, ripped off by Mist because when you look at the screenshots on the back of the game, nowhere yeah. on the back of that game does it say that oh you're just clicking and pointing at still images. Right. I thought like, oh my God, computers have gone photorealistic. Like <laughs> this is gonna be incredible. Like and I put it on and I was like, Oh, it's PowerPoint, the game. Like, <laughs> like what, what is going on here? You know, but I but it, it's funny though, because like those point and click games on uh on Twitch is interesting too, because at least then you've got like, you know, if if you're one of the lucky people that gets like a, a good amount of people watching and, and chatting, you know that can become a really interactive experience, especially if you have to like make a choice, you can let people in the yeah. chat vote on your, what choice to make and you know, like that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of, a lot of fun uh, that can be had with those types of games, um, especially even with some of the newer ones. I don't know if you played any of the telltale games uh, that have like, like there's a Batman one and a back to the future one. And I've seen the back to the future one. I know they have that on the iPhone or whatever mobile device. Um, so I've seen that there's some game called little nightmares Two that people have been playing on Twitch that I think looks really awesome. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of the little nightmare series or not, but mm. apparently you're just like this little kid and you got to go through this really, really fucked up, creepy world dodging like oh, teachers so like that can elongate their neck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just looked really cool, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm have to check that out. It, it sounds like it could be a lot of fun, but, uh, but yeah, so, dude, I could go on for like this for hours and hours. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, an alarm just went off on my phone that was like, "Dude, you've been talking way too long." Um, but, dude, this is this is a lot of fun, and I appreciate you spending the evening and and sitting down and chatting, and because this is this is super cool. And uh, you know, that doesn't mean that we can't you know do a part two or something uh, where we just get on and talk about some of this stuff. Um, oh yeah, for sure. I could I could talk about movies and video games and Godzilla and you know like all that stuff uh, <laughs> yeah. forever. The only reason I do it on a podcast is I bet like any any of any of my listeners that are like, oh man, you know it's so cool. They're going to talk about November's Doom. Look at how long this thing is. It's an hour and forty minutes of pure doom. And then like <laughs> it's like what we talked about November's Doom for like forty minutes. I think. Yeah, <laughs> then, you know, uh, and all that. But uh, but no, I really appreciate it, man. Um, so you know, Vito he streams on Twitch and he's working on a schedule, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll definitely link to his Twitch channel on this. Definitely make sure to give him a follow over there on Twitch. Um, just amazing playthroughs um, uh, of, of some November's Doom songs. And, uh, you know, hopefully even... I, I guess it would be hard copyright-wise to break off into anything else. But 
Um, I did a couple covers today when I was on just to warm up, you know. Yeah. Um, but we'll see, you know. I probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so definitely make sure you're checking that out. And, um, you know, definitely make sure you're checking out Geeking Poetic. Um, definitely a, a podcast that I have actually... It's funny because I didn't even know that that podcast, I, I'd seen things about it, but I didn't even know that it was you that was on it. Oh, wow. Uh, until, I don't know, probably like a few months ago. And then I was like, oh, no oh cool. Like, that's all right. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah. So, like, it's it's definitely it's definitely a fun podcast. If you guys, if, you, if you're any of the people that have enjoyed the last 38, 40 minutes of this conversation, uh, that, that is definitely the podcast you need to be listening to. So... <laughs> <laughs> so 100% thanks so much man and uh we'll definitely uh we'll definitely have to get together and do something like this again sometime soon yeah Dan thank you thank you dude this has been awesome thanks for having me on yeah anytime you want to do part two or anything else just let me know man I'll, I'll make myself available absolutely that sounds awesome well, we will catch all you guys next time and uh I will be back on tw- not Twitch I'm not back on Twitch uh <laughs> on, I'll be back on Thursday night uh, here on YouTube so uh 10 30 I'll be playing doom uh just like just like it always was so uh we'll see all of you fine folks then see you guys this has been discuss metal with Vito marchese of november's doom presented by discussmetal.com yeah.